My name is Keith Beavers, and you know what I love about Star Wars? Well, a lot of things, but number one, it's it's an ongoing story. It's not an adaptation. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 27 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. It's season two. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair. What are you guys doing today? What's, what's going on today? Okay, this one, guys, this story is awesome, complicated, foggy. We're going to clear it up. It's important. Let's do this. Judgment of Paris is weird. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Paul Meyer. For more than 30 years, Paul Meyer has been crafting extraordinary wines from the mountain vineyards of Napa Valley. Rooted in the founder's dream to rival the best of Bordeaux, Paul Meyer offers an extraordinary portfolio of celebrated wines with a long pedigree, including two rare 100-point scores from the wine advocate. As producers of age-worthy, site-specific wines, Paul Meyer is building a new legacy inspired by Bordeaux and rooted in Napa Valley. Come experience where tradition and ambition meet. Paul Meyer. So here we are, wine lovers. You know, we talk about the history of American wine. If I'm talking about wine regions, I often mention this moment in our history where I call it the watershed moment. The moment where we as an American drinking, wine drinking culture started really coming back from prohibition. Prohibition really messed us up, guys. It really messed us up. A decade, 10 years of illegal alcohol is just crazy. And then when it, you know, when it, when it was repealed, there were still so many problems. I mean, every state has its own liquor laws. It's, it's insane. And for us as a drinking culture, man, it took us a while to get back to what we were doing before prohibition. From the gold rush until Prohibition, we were on track to be one of the major wine-producing regions in the world. And then we had 10 years of Prohibition and messed all that up. We had to rebuild our wine industry after that. And the people in Napa got started pretty quickly. Within the 1940s, they, they created something called the Napa Valley Vintners Association, which is still around today. And they started conceiving of a wine region that was more than just a regular wine region. It was more of a fine wine region. And then we know, you know, we have the whole Napa episode from last season. But none of this would have been possible. I mean, I'm sure at some point it would. But it was expedited. Our clout on the world stage was expedited by one event called the Judgment of Paris in 1976. In the early days after Prohibition, like the mid to late 1930s, there were a bunch of winemakers really trying to recreate what they had lost 10 years earlier. One of those wineries was Below Vineyards, which is down in what is today Rutherford. It was owned by George Latour and his wife, Fernand. The two of them were looking to get some young, new energy into this wine region that they loved so much. They ended up going to France and convincing a man by the name of André Chelichev to leave his very important work in France and come over to the United States and help consult with them and make wine in a way that the region hadn't seen before. Andrei Chelichev went on to be the most important winemaker in Napa, in California, and probably the United States. 
His story is awesome, and I can't get into all of it here, but what's important about him, about what we're talking about today, is his influence on the winemakers that were making wine in the late 1960s and the early 70s in Napa Valley. One of the most important roles Andrei Chelichev had, besides making wine and being innovative about winemaking processes, is mentoring the future of winemaking in Napa, and that's what was happening in the late 60s and early 70s. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this event called the Judgment of Paris. I mean, it's a kind of an intense name for an event in that it is, you know, it's actually a, a Greek mythology. But the, 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 the term, the Judgment of Paris was conceived by a man named George Tabor. He was a journalist for Time magazine. And he wrote a story about an event that he witnessed in Paris. But this event, which he called the Judgment of Paris was really just an educational wine tasting with California wines and French wines, sort of a comparative thing. And that right there is what is important about what this event did. It wasn't so much the the story in Time magazine as it was what actually happened. And the what is known as the Judgment of Paris in 1976 only happened because of two figures. In the early 70s, a young American from Delaware by the name of Patricia Gastaud Gallagher was in Paris working for the International Herald Tribune. And of course, and maybe even obviously, she started to develop a passion for wine in Paris. I mean, it makes sense. In 1971, she answered a classified ad for the release of the new Beaujolais Nouveau, And the way she puts it, she arrives at this place and she sees this guy unloading a ton of Beaujolais Nouveau from his station wagon. He had apparently driven from Beaujolais to Paris overnight to have it in his store. The store was called Académie du Vin, and it was also a wine school. And this was like the perfect opportunity. I don't know if Patricia knew what she was getting herself into, but her and Steven Spurrier became very good friends. And she began to work at his shop and the wine school. And one of the focuses of their work were these tastings they would do. I'm not sure if they were monthly or annually, but they would do these kind of big educational tastings. And through the 70s, I'm not sure how this worked out, but Patricia did have a sister in San Diego. And I'm not sure if that's how it happened, but she started hearing rumblings of good wine being made in Northern California. And Patricia had this sort of like proud American thing going on. She really wanted to show and share American wines with the people in the Academy Divan. And unfortunately, the wines that were provided by the embassy just weren't wines they wanted to share with the French. Also, as an American, in 1975, she saw that in 1976, the Bicentennial was coming up. So she conceived of this kind of grand idea. Where were these fabled Northern California wines? These wines, Napa was not being imported to France at this time. So she needed to find those wines because she had this really cool idea. She was going to get all these French wine experts in a room and she was going to do a comparative tasting with French wine and American wine. Not to show who's better than the other, but just to show that the United States is making pretty amazing wine. She was determined to make this happen, brought the idea up to Steven Spurrier, who was like, this sounds like a great idea. So what does she do? About, I don't know if it was like a year or months before this idea would take place or be conceived of, 
She went to California to visit her sister in San Diego and tacked on a few days in Northern California to see what was going on up there. At the time in Napa, there was a very famous wine writer by the name of Robert Finnegan. He had a newsletter called Private Wine Guide. He was basically the guy before Robert Parker. She reached out to him. He recommended a bunch of wineries. She went tasting, mostly in Napa. She really liked everything she tasted, mostly. But two wineries really stood out to her. It was Chateau Montalena and Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. She also enjoyed wine from Fremark Abbey very historic winery in California. She goes back to Paris, talks to Steve about what she experienced. Steve gets very excited about all this. So him and his wife, Bella, decide that they're going to go to California and experience it for themselves. And this is in 1976, like months before this whole event is supposed to go down. Joanne Dickinson Dupuy had lived in Napa Valley since 1949. In 1973, she was getting a divorce. Her kids were grown, and she was like, you know, I never really held a full-time job. I've only had a part-time job at a travel agency. I gotta figure out my life. She's quoted as saying she was gonna give herself six months to figure it out. She loved two things, tennis and wine. So she decided to launch two businesses, a wine tour company and a tennis tour company. Now, I don't know what happened to the tennis tour company, but I do know about the wine tour company, which is pretty amazing. Her idea, which I think is pretty innovative in the 1970s for what she wanted to do, was she wanted to bridge Napa to other wine regions and vice versa, meaning she wanted to take winemakers from Napa two places in other countries to see how wine is made and how their cultures are. And she wanted to take people from other countries, specifically France, from their countries to Napa and show them Napa. It's kind of a bridge to both. It's a pretty amazing idea. And it was going pretty well. She convinced the Secretary of State of California to lead a tour to China. So she was, she had, you know, her clout was rising. So in 1976, when Stephen and Bella Spurrier wanted to come to Northern California to see what was going on, she's the person they called. So Joanne Dupuy takes the couple to Chateau Montalena and to Stag's Leap Wine Cellars and other places and Fremark Abbey. And actually, the Spuriers declined a visit to the Mondavi estate because they wanted to find winemakers that were still sort of under the radar. Yeah, Chateau Montalena and Stag's Leap Wine Cellars were under the radar. So the Spuriers bought a bunch of wine, 24 bottles of, from different wineries, and they were going to have these wines sent over to France for this little thing they were doing. Patricia was stoked. Now for Joanne and her company, one of the things she really wanted, one of the kind of bucket list situations she wanted was to get Andre Chelichev, the famous winemaker who was still around mentoring everybody, the big deal to do one of these tours. It took some doing, but she finally convinced him to do a vintners-only tour to France. And because Andre Chelichev was leading this, it attracted some of the most well-known winemakers in Napa at the time. Two of those people were the owners of Chateau Montalena, Jim and Laura Barrett. And they were there just because of Andre Chelichev. It was just pure coincidence that their wine was being brought to France for a tasting. And right before Joanne was about to take these vintners on a tour, 
she gets a call from Steven Spurrier in France saying, oh no, the wines are not going to clear customs. Would it be okay if you guys could each put a bottle or two in your luggage to kind of bring it over to help us out? Joanne was like, yeah, we can do that. Now, a lot harder to do. It was a lot more difficult than that. And she was able to wrap all these wines up in boxes and convince the people at TWA to put these on the plane and really try to get them over there safe. One bottle ended up breaking. It was a Freemark Abbey Cabernet Sauvignon. But that's okay because that wine was still tasted in the tasting. I mean, I wonder what was going through Jim and Laura Barrett's minds. Like, one of their wines is now with them going on a plane to Paris, which they will eventually go off into France and just have a tour of French vineyards, probably mostly in Bordeaux, and their wines are going to stay in Paris. They're like, oh, that should be fun. In Paris, I'm sure Steve and Patricia are, you know, sighing with relief, and Steve and Spurrier is trying to find press that would cover this thing because it's kind of a big deal. It's not, I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but it was a big deal. I mean, Patricia thought it was a big deal to her. Her family um, was a colonial family in the United States. It was a kind of a big deal. And they could only get one person to attend the event from the media, a man by the name of George Tabor with Time Magazine. And this is where things got a little weird, especially for Patricia. Well, mainly for Patricia. Not really sure how Steven Spurrier took it, but the panel of wine experts that were asked to be part of this tasting were some of the most popular, most well-known wine critics in France. One of the reasons why Steven Spurrier was trying to get media for it. And they weren't judges. They were just experts. This was supposed to be just a fun, comparative tasting that was hopefully going to get some media and would be really cool to show how American wines were faring these days. It was to be a blind tasting. Whites being blinded against whites, reds being blinded against reds from each country. Of course, the American wines were from California and, well, Napa, and the French wines were from Burgundy and Bordeaux, white and red. And as this tasting progressed, George Tabor, the media guy, he saw something. He didn't see these wine experts as experts doing a comparative, fun sort of educational tasting. He said, oh my gosh, this is a blind tasting. He saw it as a competition, and he saw these wine experts as judges. This guy would go on to write an article in in Time Magazine about what he witnessed, and then because of the impact of this particular event in American culture, he ended up writing a book calling it The Judgment of Paris. Because even though it was an educational tasting, these wine experts were taking notes. They were actually taking scores. This is what you do in tastings. You score wines, and it's not necessarily a competition based idea for scoring it is it is just kind of for your own just to understand your own preferences and what got really crazy is when people started realizing that the american wines were being scored higher than the french wines in tabor's book he describes a sort of tension in the room a little bit of frustration, murmuring, people wondering what was going on, not understanding what was happening. On a side table, scores were being tallied up. Now, I don't know that these scores were meant specifically for winners and losers or whatever, but George Tabor saw it like that. And he was noticing something pretty fascinating. He was looking at the top 10 whites and the top 10 reds, and he was kind of losing his mind. The number one white wine in a blind comparative tasting between French Chardonnays and American Chardonnays, the 1973 Chateau Montalena Chardonnay came in 
at number one. Shalone Vineyards 1974 Chardonnay comes in third. Spring Mountain Chardonnay 1973 comes in fourth. Fremark Abbey Chardonnay 1972 comes in sixth. Vitercrest Vineyard 72 comes in ninth. And David Bruce Winery Chardonnay 1973 comes in tenth. Yeah. And then over in the red, things really got crazy. The number one red, according to the scores, was Stag's Leap Cellars 1973 Cabernet Sauvignon. Number five, Ridge Vineyards 1971 Cabernet Sauvignon. Number seven, Maya Camus Vineyard 71. Eight, Claude Duval 72. Nine, Heights Wine Cellars 70 and 10. Fremark Abbey 69. I mean, on, its, on the surface, wow, right? It was supposed to be just this fun, educational, like momentous event with experts tasting wine from France and the United States and kind of understanding the difference between the two and see if where the United States is on the map right now. But because of George Tabor and Stephen Spurrier working together with a, making this into a media event, it started to look like a competition. And to the point where one of the judges, um, Odette Kahn, actually, she was one of the most famous wine critics in France at the time, demanded her scores back because she was worried that this was going to be a competition and not an educational tasting, and then her results were going to be published and she was going to have to deal with the fallout of that. And according to Patricia, she was also very upset with this idea. She was just like, it, almost like, wait, what's happening? She had conceived of this entire thing. This was her idea, and it was being turned into a competition when she conceived of it as a fun educational comparative tasting. Alas, George Tabor would write a very good piece about this event in Time Magazine, but he framed it as a competition of the old world versus the new world. And because of that massive statement, it made a huge impact on the American wine drinking culture. It didn't really have a big impact on France. That was just, they didn't, they were like, okay, that was fun because no one thought of it as a competition. And what's interesting is George Tabor ran to call the winemakers that had won. And it just so happened that Laura and Jim Barrett, the owners of Chateau Montalena, were actually in Bordeaux at the time with Andre uh, Chelichev and got a phone call at a restaurant they were at, or I think it was at a winery or a restaurant they were at. And they thought something was wrong, but turns out they found out they won, quote unquote, and they lost their minds. They thought it was really cool. I mean, you imagine being a winemaker in the United States and Northern California, there are no wine regions. It's just like, you know, you're making wine, you're trying to make it the best you can. And all of a sudden there's this event happening in Paris and then your wine is going to Paris and you don't really know what it means, but that's pretty cool. And you happen to be in France when you get a phone call saying the wine that you sent out to Paris actually became number one in a comparative tasting that ended up being a competition. I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty, pretty stoked. And what I find really wonderful about some of the winners or quote unquote winners of this judgment of Paris, those winemakers were the winemakers that were mentored by Andre Chelichev. Full circle people. Very cool. That was in 1976 by 1980. Napa was the second AVA to be awarded in the United States, and that began the new era of wine in the United States, bringing us into the modern culture that we have now. Fun little side note here, 30 years later, they opened up the same vintages again to see how they were aging, and again, the American wines came out on top. 
So this was a big moment for us. In the history of American wine, this is huge. And even though it wasn't conceived as something that was turned, it, it was just the fact that it happened and that palates thought that these wines were superior or just beautiful in general is such a big deal. And if it wasn't for Patricia Gusto Gallagher and Steven Spurrier working together with this awesome idea that she conceived of, and if it wasn't for Joanne Dupuy of the International Wine Tours in California, this would never have happened. And the wines that were on this list, that were in this tasting, are today some of the most famous wineries in the United States. And then these winemakers would go on to mentor other people and other people. And this is how we grew as an American wine culture and how we're still growing today. The history of wine in America is such a fascinating story. And this is just one little gold nugget of awesome that helped us all on our journey. I want to give a big shout out to my father-in-law who him and my mother-in-law live in Petaluma. And he sends me wine information all the time that he reads in the newspapers. And in 2018, he sent me an article by Esther Mobley in the San Francisco Chronicle about Patricia and Joanne. And it's because of that article that this episode happened and the way the story has been told. So thank you, Dean DeZekas. Keep sending those communiques. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Paul Meyer. For more than 30 years, Paul Meyer has been crafting extraordinary wines from the mountain vineyards of Napa Valley. Rooted in the founder's dream to rival the best of Bordeaux, Paul Meyer offers an extraordinary portfolio of celebrated wines with a long pedigree, including two rare 100-point scores from the Wine Advocate. As producers of age-worthy, site-specific wine, Paul Meyer is building a new legacy inspired by Bordeaux and rooted in Napa Valley. Come experience where tradition and ambition meet. Paul Meyer.